This is my gift. This is my curse. Who am I? I'm a podcaster. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. Today, we are talking about Insomniac's Spider-Man 2, a new game for the PlayStation 5 that we've all been playing. Let's swing around New York and talk about it. I'm Jason Schreier. I'm Kirk Hamilton. And I'm Maddie Myers. Hello. Hey. Welcome Look back. Who it is. Made it back. The three of us. Swinging in. It's all in. three of us. Is that anything? We're swinging in? Hey, do you guys want to hear a funny story? <laughs> I do. And always. So this weekend, uh, a couple of friends and I, uh, three, me and three other friends, we have this kind of yearly tradition. Every year we just like go for a couple of nights to a casino nearby and just like do a boys weekend. And this weekend we went to a nearby casino. And one of part of our tradition is that like at night after dinner, like after we're done gambling, whenever we'll go up and play Mario Party. Mario Party's our go-to Amazing. game. Mm. So I brought my Switch planning on playing Super Mario Superstars, which is our Super Mario Party Superstars, which is the latest one. Really good game but then we realized the tv at the hotel like did not let you access the output oh, you couldn't move it so we went downstairs we went downstairs we were like what's the deal like can mm-hmm. we do this can we move it can we get an extension can we rent Whatever. the conference room because this they is were the like no thing. yeah can we get a conference room <laughs> they were like no so we went to walmart and we bought a tv and oh we brought it back God. to the serious? hotel and wow. we set it up we realized we didn't have a screwdriver to plug in to like screw in the stand so Jesus. we had to lean it against this is how cheap tv are now that that was like a logical <laughs> thing to do next we leaned it against the tv uh and and like put a towel down so in case it fell it would just land on the towel so you leaned like, a tv against the tv is this what we played mario party and then on sunday morning as we were leaving we went back to walmart returned, returned the tv, the TV. And then went home, mm. and it was one of the best calls we've ever made. Wow. So. <laughs> this is wow. the like video game version of the Guitar Center rental, where you exactly. break your guitar on tour, and then you buy a guitar for the show, <laughs> and then you turn it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or buy, um, buy a dress for just one really fancy event, mm, and then return mm-hmm. it. It's that, but with mm-hmm. gaming. <laughs> if, if you would like to hear more stories like that, and or help support us if we decide to buy TVs in the future, you should become a <laughs> supporter of Triple like, which is your max fund dollars at work fun yeah, that's right. <laughs> and actually it was on someone else's credit card so I didn't have to deal with mm. it uh, we actually did we did a four person rock paper scissors tournament to determine who would have to put it on their credit card right like of in course. case we broke it or something you know rock paper scissors tournament pretty fun yeah you could have just be been doing yeah, that instead of Mario Party <laughs> instead of just Mario for Party. hours surprisingly fun game for how simple it is <laughs> Mario Party Superstars is actually really good gotta say after some some weak recent Mario Party entries this is like a return to form if you hmm. want to help us make this show possible, go to MaximumFun.org slash join. Become a member of our network, Maximum Fun. Sign up for just a few dollars a month. You not only make the show possible, you also get access to our monthly bonus episodes, including episodes on Zelda, um, The Last of Us, all sorts of cool stuff we've done over the past few years, and a bunch of cool stuff to come. This month, we have an episode that we're calling The Hunt for Best October. Um, That's and I'll right, just we're hunting it. I'll, I'll leave it at the tantalizing tease there. But we've also got cool stuff we've got planned. We'll probably do a Beans cast at some point soon on the game we're talking about today, among other Heck things. Yeah. So become a member today. Once again, MaximumFun.org slash join. 
All right, Kirk, what are we talking about today? We're talking about Spider-Man 2. I'm making my, my web hands. Uh, no one can see yes, it. You're you doing guys can the... see it. I'm doing the web hands. I can hands. see your web hands, yeah. Oh, my God, <laughs> Maddie's shooting actual webs. Okay, can I just say, Kirk, I'm sure you have like a, a paragraph prepared, but I just want to say real quick, it's really funny that Peter Parker has to wear those two matching metal bracelets everywhere he goes, even when he's wearing like a t-shirt and nobody in his regular life is like, hey, Pete, what's up with these matching metal bracelets that you just he's like, live strong, wear man. everywhere just live strong. you go? He like, just really likes cool hot topic. Looking, mm-hmm. But it's just kind of interesting that at no point in his life is anybody like, you know, take those off. It's like a really bold choice. He's like, I went to the Eras tour. I got my friendship bracelets. <laughs> you know, I just have been sort of wearing them. That's ever how he since. gets away with it. He has these really subtle matching bracelets. Anyway, mm-hmm. over to you, Kirk. <laughs> Spider Man 2 is a sequel to Spider Man. It's also a sequel to Spider Man Miles Morales. In it, you play as Spider Man and also as Spider Man Miles mm-hmm. Morales. Will these two Spider Men muster the strength and resolve to survive a devious alien symbiote, defeat a private army of Far Cry dudes, and foil the theft of funk legend Clyde Stubblefield's drums? Yes, obviously they will, but it will probably be fun to play as them while they do it. Spider Man 2 features an expanded New York City, now featuring Brooklyn and Queens as well as a hugely expanded cast of characters. Yuri Lowenthal and Naji Jeter return to play Peter and Miles, with Laura Bailey returning as Mary Jane Watson. Another musical score by John Paisano, and of course, some other fun performances as well, as well that we will not be spoiling. We've each played a lot of the game. I have finished. Jason's almost done. Maddie is somewhere in the first act. We're all playing on PlayStation 5 codes provided by Sony. And just uh, for kind of spoilers sakes, we're not going to get into too many specifics because there's some fun stuff to discover in this game and it's just now coming out. So we'll be talking about the basics, some stuff in the first act, mm-hmm. the gist, what we think of it. You have web shooters. We're going to talk about that. Yeah, spoilers. There's webs <laughs> in this game. You got bracelets. Uh, yeah, so we've been playing this game. It's pretty fun. I have some criticisms and some things that I like about it. That's how <laughs> <What>? I feel. <laughs> All right, podcast <laughs> over. Well, <laughs> we did it again, folks. <laughs> Uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's go to one more stuff, thing. Uh, let's take a break. <laughs> <laughs> it's got two Spider-Men in it. Spider's Man. Spider-Man. Spider's, Spider's well, Man. We've actually talked uh, about this at work at Spider-Man's. But yeah, Jason, go ahead. <laughs> what did you do? Uh, did you sure. Play? I mean, my overall thoughts. So yeah, I'm almost finished. I'm like up to the home stretch, I believe. Um, I like it a lot. Uh, I think it's a good game. I also have some criticisms, namely the combat, which gets pretty tedious um, after a while. Um, but there's a lot I really like about it. I mean, the thing that strikes me most about it is like how polished everything is, how well executed everything is. And so what I mean by that is like um, a good example is the storytelling. Uh, the story, I actually, I am not that impressed by. It's very just kind of uh, what you would expect from a, a, a Spider-Man story. There aren't a lot of surprises. There isn't a lot of like, oh man, mm-hmm. like this is going in a direction I didn't expect, at least up until the point where I'm at now, which again is pretty close. Like there could be some mind-boggling twists at the very end of the game. I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm very close to the end and so far have not been super surprised or really that impressed by the story, but I am impressed by the execution of it. The cutscenes look incredible. Incredible. The voice acting is phenomenal. The performances, the, the kind of the granular writing, the the line by line writing is really really good. It's all just like incredibly charming and entertaining and fun to watch. I've never been bored by any of the storytelling, despite finding it to be a very rote story. Um, 
same with just like uh, uh, brawling and 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 um, gliding around the city and swinging around the city. It all just like is so well executed that you just kind of find yourself sitting. At least I just kind of find myself sitting back and just getting mesmerized by how good everything looks and how good everything feels to play um, in performance mode. It just runs at this incredible stable sixty frames a second that just is is constantly good looking. It just is never not amazing looking as a video game and amazing sounding and amazing feeling it just is a really just triple a experience in 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 a nutshell um even if the kind of the actual nitty-gritty mechanics of it all can get a little a little tedious and then the one other thing i'll say is that i actually i really appreciate how much they've improved the open world stuff the exploration the activities you're doing that was a, a definitely one of the weaknesses of the first game was that a lot of that stuff was pretty much collectathon city and here it's a lot more interesting there are a lot more meaty side quests like multi-part side quests that take you on really interesting um, journeys and stories and uh, I was really impressed by that and I'm really impressed by the traversal and exploration in general even if they don't let you go to my hometown of Westchester which is very sad <laughs> want to go we'll visit the X-Men you need an X-Men yeah, game to yeah. go to Westchester mm-hmm. maybe Wolverine maybe that'll be actually Westchester. that's a really good point it looks like that mm-hmm. game's in Madripoor but Logan goes to Westchester every now and then, grudgingly, sure. but he does. Got to visit Rudy's and check out some guitars. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, Kirk. Nice. If you get an X Men Persona game in yep. set in in the house, then yeah, you got to like go and make some ice cream with Bobby or whatever. Mm-hmm. Why did you bring mm-hmm. this up? This is like totally derailing me. I just want to talk about that. I mean, that's basically Midnight Suns, <laughs> right? It kind of is that game owns, and everyone should play Marvel's Midnight Suns. But also, like Jason, I'm really enjoying Spider Man Two. I'm I'm curious about what the criticisms are because you two are further than I am and I feel like I've just been having a great time with my six hours of Spider-Man 2. I'm at, what, mission 12 out of 31, so I'm, I'm really in the sweet spot. I've done a couple missions where I'm like, I don't know if that needed to be there. That was real silly. But I had a fantastic time even during each of those moments where I was like, not really sure why this is happening, but I'm loving it. It's ridiculous. There's a lot of mini games in this game that I'm, I'm sure we'll we'll get into, like science mini games. And like there's a part where you go to Coney Island and you play a whole bunch of games uh-huh. at Coney Island. A highlight, like this, a highlight of this the game. This game is very secret. much like, what if you could play games in a game. This Spider-Man 2 is really into that. But also, this version of Spider-Man and, and his world, their world, I should say, Peter and Miles's world, takes some really clear lessons from the previous two Spider-Man games. And some of the really harsh critiques that I've had of those games are overturned in this one in notable ways. Like, for example, uh, I, I talked a lot about the depiction of the police in Spider-Man 1 when I was playing that for PC semi-recently, when it came out on PC in the remastered form. And that game I just find really, really tough to play again now because it's so corny. Like, Peter is so just... I don't know. He's really into the police, but in a way that doesn't make sense for a kid who grew up in Queens. And this game, it's like a completely different version of Peter. Like he he completely works with Miles. They use their community policing app that's developed by Miles's friend Genki in the Miles Morales game. And I I know that that is going to like be a plot line later. I, I know some mild 
spoilers like about the police characters, but it seems like the team really thought about that. And they were like, what would happen if this version of Peter Parker met Miles and Genki and started to work with them and had these characters of color who are from a different background and are introducing Peter to these other tools for community policing? What would that be like? And this game is actually illustrating what that would look like. And it's also showing a lot more different kinds of emergency services beyond just beat cops. It's got like a ton of storylines about first responders, firefighters, just other people around the city. And then on top of that, everything you do to interact with the city is no longer just violence. Like in past games, it's been like, okay, every time you turn around, people are robbing an ATM. Like that was like the joke we were telling. We were like, out every freaking street corner, there's a a holdup, there's a mugging. But in this world, you're taking photographs. Like it's brought back like Peter Parker's love of photography. That's a huge part of the game now that he loves his city and he cares about the people in it. And you're like collecting things that play a role in learning about the characters of the game, whether it's Uncle Aaron or... Uh, the Sandman guy, I can't remember his name. Those are like part of the collection mechanics is learning more about some of the villains slash previous villains. It just feels like a really thoughtful take on how to explore a world and introduce some of the tension of Spider-Man as a guy who wants to actually help his city and be a responsible superhero and not a corrupt one. Like that's always Mm. a Spider-Man story. And this game feels like it's actually trying to navigate that in a way that I think Miles Morales started to. And Spider-Man 1 was just kind of like, I don't know, what if it was cool? And you like flipped around New York. And I just, mm-hmm. it's been really cool to see that evolve. The photography stuff is like so New York. Clearly they got some New Yorkers to do this thing. I mean, one of my favorites uh, is you actually like, so the way the photography system works is like you have this assignment from a photo editor who's like, go around and take all these pictures of iconic landmarks. And there's so many cool little New York references. My favorite is the timekeeper, which is an NYU tradition. So I went to NYU, New York University, which is in Washington, around Washington Square Park. And there was always this guy named the timekeeper who was like carrying a bunch of watches and shouting what time classes start. It's like an NYU tradition. Um, Unfortunately, he died, I believe, in 2012 or 2013. But like when I was there, which was before then, he was just like this institution. And the fact that they have him in this game, it's such a specific New York thing that is so cool. And the game is just full of those, which is just very cool to see as a New Yorker. Mm hmm. It's like legit fun to set up photos that actually look good. And having Mm -hmm. that be something that unlocks fast travel and gets me experience points feels way better than just being like, time to go pick up some more faceless criminals again so that I can get the fast travel (laughs) point. It's very different. There are a lot of faceless criminals in New York. I enjoyed it. (laughs) I'm still committing homicides. Like, it's it's happening. I'm out here. (laughs) I I don't know about that, but there are some fun side quests where there are just a bunch of big dudes with sort of ski masks on or like bandanas over their faces just Mm -hmm. sitting around doing bad deeds. (laughs) Doing crimes. Doing crimes. Yeah. Like you do. Yeah, so I like this game. I find it very likable. Um, <laughs> it's just super easy to play. I finished it, like I said, um, a little while ago. It's just a very playable game. I kind of cruised through it. Um, I didn't love it, but I did like it. I find it to be a remarkable technical achievement, but probably not as remarkable of an artistic one, just as, I don't know, a work of interactive storytelling as a comic book video game. I just kind of find it to be... Uh, it falls short for me in some ways overall that it bummed me out a little bit or that I just sort of wished had been a little more shorn up, a little more confident, a little bit more ambitious. So I guess I'll start with just 
the technical part of it because I like think this game is just so amazing to look at and to play that that mm-hmm. alone makes it very easy to recommend. Like for anyone with a PlayStation Five who wants to play a game that looks like a movie, um, this is this is, is a really it? good one of those. Uh, I actually played a lot of this game in fidelity mode and not in performance mode, which is unusual for me. I almost always play in 60 frames per second. But for this game, I just found um, it starts in fidelity mode, running at 30. And the opening set piece is so incredible looking. It's this massive set piece that you play through. And at 30 FPS, I was playing on our TV, which I also don't always do with the PlayStation. I usually play on a monitor. So I was playing on the TV in the living room, and it just looked like a movie. I was playing with Emily. Um, Shout out to last week's episode of just yeah. sort of playing through a movie like nice. game with your with your partner. This is a good one for that, I would say. It's very TV mm-hmm. show like, very watchable. Yeah, it is though. Once you start fighting, um, <laughs> it becomes less interesting to watch, and well, that's one of my criticisms of the game. Is, the bosses, yeah, are so yeah, long. We'll the get boss to that. fights are so lengthy. It, well, it's so it starts really amazing. It's amazing looking, and then yeah, you start getting into fights, and then soon you're just like pow, 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 fighting your seventy fifth dude. And Emily was yeah. like, okay, I'm gonna go get go get some dessert or something. I'm gonna go. <laughs> do some work. Yeah. yeah. So um, back to the technical stuff, though. This game sounds incredible. The surround sound mix in this is totally sick. I played a lot with headphones with oh, the special yeah. like Sony headphone surround, which is really incredible. There's some stuff going on with timbral, like environmental mixing that they're doing that has to just be because they control the like audio codec. It's their own like audio software, it allows them to just do stuff where you'll hear a sound like a voice echoing off of metal in a half-finished building, and it just sounds exactly right, and it's kind of crazy. Bing! Kirk here. As I'm editing the episode, I realized that it sounds maybe a little like I'm talking about using special, like, expensive Sony headphones or something, but I'm just talking about plugging headphones into the PS5 controller and using Sony's headphone surround software. So something you can do with any set of headphones, just plugged into the controller. Just wanted to make that clear. Okay, back to the show. Bing! Mm-hmm. So it sounds great. It looks amazing. It looks great at performance mode, too. The lighting, the performance, it, like, runs super, super smoothly. Um, They've just got this totally dialed in, and it was very cool to play a game like that. One other thing that I'll mention is I played this a little bit on my monitor, which is a 120 hertz monitor. If you play this game at fidelity mode on a 120 hertz screen, it runs at 40 frames per second, which is pretty amazing and kind of a great middle ground because I think that the cutscenes look kind of weird at 60, where everyone looks very real and it looks like a movie. But I actually think... 40, it like plays much more smoothly and yet still doesn't quite have that too real like soap opera effect that 60 frames can have. So that's kind of a, a neat little technical thing that they considered in this game. There's so much stuff like that. So many accessibility options that I really appreciated. Oh, yeah. My thumb, um, my right thumb has really just been bothering me the last few years. I really struggle with these controller games where you just mash, 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 mash the face buttons. Um, I got one of those uh, Sony, what's it called? The the DualSense Edge. Oh, the Edge, yeah. The DualSense Edge, which has under buttons. Um, oh, I bought sure. it as specifically as an accessibility thing because yeah. I can program two of the face buttons to under buttons because my thumb just can't do it. And then I really appreciated this game lets you turn off. Like, you constantly have to mash the square button. Mm. But you can actually just turn that off in a setting. So there's a lot of stuff mm-hmm. like that that I think is really considered. Yeah, you can just hold it. I did that immediately when you told me yeah. about it, and it really improves. I, mm-hmm. I don't like having to mash. I mean, QTEs... 
I've turned them off entirely at this point, <laughs> and I'm loving it. The accessibility. I mean, that whole menu is like oh, incredible. It's, it's so yeah. many. And this is something that Sony deserves loads of credit for because oh, it's yeah. all of their games, their yeah. first party games. They really go out of their way to have tons of options. There's tons of difficulty options, which I also mm-hmm. appreciated because I actually found the game to be too difficult and kind of a slog. Yeah, uh-huh. being able to adjust yeah. just some parts of the difficulty down to easy without just making it too easy was really cool. Something I just want to note on the technical end, and then I'll throw it to you to talk more about like the combat and stuff. Yeah, yeah, then we like, can get into But on the technical end, I think it's worth noting in this video game industry where uh, a lot of companies are being asked to return to office because of concerns over QA and bugs and technical problems and all sorts of other stuff. Insomniac is fully remote. They allow people to work from anywhere. Uh, a lot of the people who worked on this game were working from all over the country and all over the world. And so I think this is kind of holds up as like uh, mm. uh, an example of how rem- you can still make super polished games remotely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's remarkable. I mean, they they have it pretty pretty dialed in, I would say. Just as an end user playing the product, it seems really well put together. And yeah, I mean, I can start getting into some of the things that left me a little wanting. And we can just talk about them. I mean, it doesn't have to be like me monologuing about my opinions forever. Um, I, I think in, this, in terms of the story overall, so this is the story of this guy, Craven the Hunter, who turns up and is really just a video game plot device. Like, he's kind of there so that he can bring back a bunch of Spider-Man villains mm-hmm. and kind of That's just have a bunch of... An army of dudes. Is, yeah. What if I got together a bunch of villains? Uh, no, I. That's not fair. He has a real. He has a real motivation. That's that's not fair. I I won't say what it is because it's interesting. I, to but. me, at least, like I, he did nothing for me as a character. I did not care about Craven the Hunter as a person. I, I, well, there's a difference between he did nothing for me and he didn't have a motivation. There's a difference between those two things. I'll say though, as somebody who hasn't gotten to it yet, it is kind of frustrating that I'm still like, so why is Craven? bringing all the villains to Manhattan because that seems really weird like weird it's made thing clear to do. it's made very clear it's <laughs> right, his story so very clear just as villains go it's he's fairly weak I would say and some of this is just me I just can't keep from comparing this game to Arkham Knight or something like Arkham Knight it has a similar amount going on to Rocksteady's Arkham Knight this is a 2015 game that closed out their Batman series and they just Insomniac is not operating on the level of Rocksteady. They just aren't. Like, in terms of vision, in terms of ingenuity, in terms of writing, in terms of just, like, set-piece design and overall narrative design, Arkham Knight, for anyone who hasn't played it in a while, like, if you go back to that game, it still feels, like, just revolutionary. So does Arkham City. um, So does Arkham Asylum. So... I just... I kind of wish this game... Some of that is source material. It's worth noting here. I, I, I don't really I don't think know, man. so. No, I don't agree with that. Spider-Man I think if they there. were just as... They could have been just as creative with things like... I don't know. There's a sequence in Arkham Knight where you're flying around and then Man Bat comes out of nowhere. And it's this like shocking moment where this bat jumps into your face. Mm-hmm. And they're constantly doing stuff like that. Surprising you. Having the Joker jump That's like out. shot composition, timing, set piece composition stuff that you're talking about. Not just story, too. It's narrative. It's design. It's like vision. It's it's uh, chutzpah. It's, it's the <laughs> has this sort of thank you, drive, thank you for this, that, Kirk. Yeah. this yep. desire to like surprise and delight you that I don't always feel with Spider-Man. It feels much more by the numbers. I think the Venom storyline, we're not going to get into specifics, but it just feels like, okay, we've seen this before. Like this was Spider-Man 3, the Raimi movie. Like this is in the <laughs> art, in the animated series. This is in the comics. We've seen it. And it just kind of feels like they're changing some things up, but they're mostly just going through the motions. And 
time and again in the story, I guess I kept feeling like I was missing conversations, like they were rushing through things and people weren't communicating. A character will learn a major piece of information about another character and they'll never really talk about it. They'll just move on because the plot has to keep happening. Mm. And I think that... That just left me feeling a little like, okay, this is like watching a cartoon where as a kid I would have watched this cartoon and thought to myself, wait a minute, why didn't so-and-so talk to so-and-so? Why didn't they have a conversation? And then I would just think, well, whatever, it doesn't really matter. And that's kind of the way it goes with the story. Even while there are lots of wonderful performances, there's some really great moments, there's some really cool set pieces, and everyone is doing their best. It's just kind of missing something for me uh, in terms of the writing and the overall like ambition of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that take. And that's what I was kind of saying before with the execution, just kind of like uh, almost masking that stuff or at least like letting you, putting you right. on such a roller coaster. Because it's fine. Yeah. Right. You're, I, the whole time I was like, this is fine. Like I'm having a good time. And yeah, it's, so it's pretty. fine. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And I think because it's so pretty and dazzling and it just constantly so just yeah. throwing cool technical stuff at you, I think you can, you're almost like misled into forgetting about that stuff. But yes, I mean, when we do a beans on this game when we do a deeper dive into the story right. I think a lot of things will just kind of fall apart and I already I was texting you about some of the more ridiculous parts of it and some of the things that really frustrated me about the story. Were you texting but about yeah. how Mary Jane has to be on the quote unquote front page of a website because that part <laughs> made me feel crazy. That's, that is definitely <laughs> a strange. Yeah, the, well this is an I alternate reality. I was like at reality. least talk to me about concurrence MJ. Right. Talk to me yeah. about something I understand yeah. I don't know if you know this but Brian Intar, the, the creative director of this game used to be a journalist at a time when magazines actually mattered and when there were front pages so maybe that's related maybe they haven't brought in any modern mm-hmm. journalists I mean maybe but I love the I love JJ Jonah Jameson's podcast and the fact that he's like this Joe Rogan-esque figure uh, like they've updated uh, Alex, some things Alex Jones Alex Jones uh, yeah Alex Jones I guess yeah. is probably so a closer analog for him is it a podcast that J. Jonah Jameson Unclear. does because it kind of just pops Unclear. on like a radio yeah. it does I guess Dan there's the Danica. No Danica. Oh my god, there was this moment where Danica has this, she's like, I got this really exciting interview pop- lined up for you today, and she asks two questions and then is like, that's it! And it's right. so funny. She like yeah, sets know, it's, up this it's incredible hilarious. thing. I, I love it. It's like, are they constantly streaming live onto some sort of TikTok-adjacent platform, and like at any uh-huh, moment, uh-huh, uh-huh. J. Jonah Jameson could just pop up and be like, and another thing about Spider-Man! Yeah, I without can't your permission. stand that guy! And like, uh-huh, they're just supposed just to keep it rolling up. at all times, just to see yeah. when, he, mm-hmm. when he's going to start talking to you. Just constant That feed. bothers me less than MJ talking about the front page of a website. I can't explain <laughs> why. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit more about the gameplay and Please. specifically about the parts of the game that those podcasts slash radio slash question mark mm-hmm. uh, sequences accompany, which is navigating the city. Because I think that's the thing this game does so brilliantly and is really, it's like the reason to play the game. I mean, yeah. when you see footage of this game, you see footage of Spider-Man swinging between skyscrapers and it looks unbelievable. And it really feels unbelievable to play as well. The, the dual sense implementation, the way the webs feel on your triggers Amazing. wonderful Just you now it. have the ability to glide yes uh, similar to batman actually that's a, incredible i was shocked by how good it feels than i would have thought it would i thought it was going to feel extraneous and annoying nope it rules. You it can rules. just fly totally over rules. the water whenever you want to mm-hmm. and it feels great 
Yeah, in fact, that's probably why they did it because no, you needed why. to be able to yeah, travel between districts. The district. <laughs> uh-huh. yep. They yeah, did yeah, a good yeah. job with it, and I think they've done a great job of balancing freedom and restriction. Um, the Arkham games actually do a great job with gliding as well, uh, and they give you those upgrades, if, if I'm remembering correctly, where you're gliding and you can grapple onto a building and then pull Batman over it, and he gets like a speed boost. It's the same kind of thing where they gamify the act of building up speed. They've done a great job of that here. It's They've taken some inspiration there and some inspiration from like just cause actually from those games from these any game that's about flying has to introduce some sort of limitation it can't you can't just be superman because Mm -hmm. then you're just cruising around and it's sort of boring you're just steering it's like a becomes a flight simulator so in this game you have to manage your momentum in the case of getting across the river you have to get into these wind tunnels that you learn to spot as you're flying and then once you get into one your ar whatever they have very advanced spider suits in this game your (laughs) ar system in your suit shows you these rings about who's paying for all that by the way that's (laughs) oscorp oscorp i guess tony stark isn't present in this world to like pay pay the bills on yeah. all these spidey sp- spider things that come out of Peter's yeah. Genki suit. just does it for free, man. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he's just he's resourceful, you know. Um, or maybe Norman pays for it. Yeah, Norman, <laughs> anyways, Norman's that stuff is, is really fun. I totally agree. Getting around uh-huh. is great, and then as you upgrade your traversal skills, it just becomes more and more fun. Yeah, you get skills. You can jump in the it air. It fits so well with those abilities from the first game, like the ability to point jump, where you time yeah. your jump off of a point oh, and you get a big boost. I love it. Or you it. can hit X in midair and you like pull yourself flips. forward. If you do that while you're flying, you pull yourself forward even more and. One other thing I want to mention that's really exciting that I bet some people don't know about is there's a setting in the menus that you can adjust that's called – it's something like um, web swinging assist, and it starts set to 10, and you can turn it all the way to zero. And what it's doing is it's keeping you moving basically when you're web swinging. So if you turn it all the way off – you can kind of mess up your web swings. Like you don't, you have to get your momentum right when you're going around a corner or you have Mm -hmm. to use those cornering abilities that you unlock. Or if you have your web, if you start it too late and it goes too long, you just kind of hit the ground and start running. And so you have to just jump again. So you can kind of screw up your web swinging more if you turn that off. And I find it very fun. Um, I was mostly doing it doing side stuff, but I love that they added it. It makes it feel just the physics feel a little less forgiving in a way that I sometimes didn't love in the first two games where it felt just a little like the minute you hold down the right trigger you're kind of just flying like the physics change and you just are off the ground like it, mm-hmm. it's a little less like that and I, I really dig that anyways and I think there are probably some people out there who um, who will feel similarly and of course you can then put it back to 10 or anywhere in between and like find a sweet spot that you like so I recommend anyone playing it mm-hmm, uh, check mm-hmm. that check that setting out it's very cool and as you're exploring there's definitely there's more interesting stuff to find I mean Maddie you mentioned like being able to take photos and other non-violent stuff there's a lot of like random mini games that are kind of hit or miss one thing that i really enjoyed and appreciated was there's like this segment called blinds where you find these little tiny mini bases called hunter blinds and once you clear out one of those you start to you 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 like unlock uh, a, a piece of information about a hunter base that's in the area. And so once you unlock three or four of these blinds, you clear out three or four of these blinds, you'll find the base and then you have to go clear out the base and the base has a mm-hmm. few more puzzles and different layers and more elaborate enemies and it's really, really cool. It's a really fun system that, again, just makes things more interesting as you're exploring than the previous game did, which actually gets to one of the things that I think we all wanted to talk about, which is the combat. One of the things that I really enjoy about these bases and blinds 
coins is that you can do them all by stealth. And so there are kind of two ways to clear out encounters in this game. One is by brawling and one is by sneaking. And in sneaking, uh, sneaking is what I really enjoy. And sneaking is mm. sort of like the first game in that you can kind of glide up from above. Or you can you can hang out on different perch points from above and take out enemies and you have to wait for them to be out of like for, so that no other enemies can see them before you can really grab them and and either jump on them or, or like kind of use your webs to, to p- propel them up in the air and and uh, p- like fasten them to a wall mm-hmm. um, and that's a really fun system you can kind of like you can distract enemies to get them away and you have to kind of pick off enemies one by one in this game there's actually a new mechanic called the the web line that I think is borrowed from the Arkham <laughs> games where yeah. you're like pretty overpowered because yeah, you can do it it's anywhere amazing, right? you can do it anywhere you can create these suspension fun. bridges but, but it's super it fun rules. Um, and yeah, the reason I mean rule. I don't mind that it's overpowered because yeah, no. the stealth is so much more fun than the actual combat which gets so tedious enemies take way too long to die you can't target enemies so you can't like actually and, and some of the enemies like the heavies and the melee enemies melee enemies you have to like use specific abilities or counters and yeah, stuff like to take them down yeah. but because it's just so many of them at a time and you can't target lock individual ones it just winds up becoming chaos it's just not super fun it's very monotonous and there are just so many enemies that come at you and just waves and waves and waves that it's just not nearly as good as stealth and so I always found myself really disappointed when like I got to an encounter or a story mission and it was like now you can't sneak around you have to fight enemies this mm-hmm. time yeah I agree stealth is a lot more rewarding it, it's not always as fun for me like I, I, I like it when I can just brawl like if I accidentally break stealth I like it when that's rewarding and fun too so I feel like I kept making that mistake in this game and being like oh whatever I'll just brawl it out and then I would be like oh, no, this sucks. <laughs> I need to reload the checkpoint and just do stealth because this is really, really unfun. It just, it feels a, it feels like the classic problem where if developers work on, on a series of games for too long, they get super freaking good at the video game and they mm. just, like, are having a great time adding more and more enemies and more and more abilities and complications. Like, I'm not far enough in the game yet to know, but some of my coworkers have already been complaining about, like, just how many moves you have by the end and not even remembering what they all are like to the point where you're not even using them all because you're just like i don't even know what they are anymore i've learned too many moves and also there's so many different enemy types that you're just like can i just fight like three guys and like do Mm -hmm. it in a cool way like (laughs) i know how to do that (laughs) you know yeah this is an issue that um for what it's worth since i've been comparing them the arkham games also ran into where as they grow more complex and you get more and more enemy types and then more and more counters to those specific enemy types attacks you have so much to keep track of that it becomes difficult, at least for me. And and I think we all have to say that we're speaking for our own yeah, experiences here because I'm sure yeah. there are people, right, who who can learn all these skills. And I bet watching someone... People who aren't old like us. <laughs> yeah, they can actually remember all the abilities. I don't know. They're probably... <laughs> Genius. There are people who can, and I'm sure it's really fun to watch them play, and they can shred their way through it. I'm sure there are people at Insomniac who can do oh, that. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, this um, this game does make me feel old in some ways, both <laughs> because I don't feel good at it. Um, I feel kind of slow and tired. Really? And if Kirk like, doesn't by... feel good at a game, we have no chance. This was Many terrifying no when chance. Kirk had the game and was playing it before Jason and I were. Jason and I were straight up panicking in the Discord. We were like, <laughs> if Kirk can't play this, what's going to happen kid, to us? You kid, but I'm not really that great at games or anything. I, I, so it's just, I, so I didn't love the combat in Spider-Man 2018. I didn't love the combat in Miles Morales. So I've never loved the combat in these games. So there we go, I guess. I just okay. It's never That's quite been my thing. 
My gripes are mainly that the encounters go on a little too long. Enemies have a little too much health, which was nice, something that I could adjust uh, in the specific difficulty settings, which I did do, and that was really great. Um, my biggest gripe is with situational awareness. I find I don't love playing a melee game where I'm fighting so many enemies that there are ranged enemies significantly out of my field of vision in multiple you know, it's like surrounding Directions. me in 360 yep. degrees. And so I'm regularly seeing what is in this game reflected by a red beam of light, which is an, a shot incoming that you have to dodge. So a lot of the game is you're fighting and you're looking at whoever you're punching and then you're looking at Peter or Miles to see if the white spider sense is going to become red and that's the time you dodge. So, okay, you're kind of watching that, but then sometimes it's a bullet because there's someone off screen shooting at you. You want to target those guys, especially if you're up in the air because you can pull them up to you. So I'm trying to get my web to target them. But as you mentioned, Jason, there's no real targeting and the targeting is doing its best, but you're fighting like 15 guys at once. And so it's very hard to target the right guy. Sometimes you'll target a heavy who you can't even pull up to you. And then this game adds a new system, which is a parry system, which would be very cool and feels great when it works, but it's it was one thing too many for me where an enemy comes in and suddenly they're the one with the indicator. It's this gold indicator that then becomes red when it's time for you to hit the shoulder button and parry, but that's not on Peter. That's somewhere else, but it looks similar enough that I typically dodge, and once you've dodged an incoming attack, you can't actually dodge those attacks, so you get hit by them, and I just found... I. All of this stuff I'm describing is something that I think once people have played the game, they'll at least understand what I'm saying. That for me anyways, it's all kind of the wrong ingredients at the wrong levels, and it never really clicked with me. And I felt that way before, too. So this has just always been something about my taste in video game combat, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I'm with you. It's a little too much. I was constantly dodging because the other part of that is that there are blue indicators when you have to dodge and you can't parry. The only way to get out of something is to dodge. And so you find yourself kind of reflexively dodging a lot, but then you dodge at the wrong time and you get hit. And right. it's very frustrating when you're trying to dodge out of a ranged attack, but then a melee attack is like, yeah, it's just not not a great... Um, it's it's messy. It's chaotic and messy. Yeah. And I should add also, I've tried this in both performance mode and fidelity. Performance is a little bit easier for me because you just get twice as much visual information. Yeah. So, you know, when I was really having a hard time, I'd sometimes switch. It made it better, but it, I, I still don't totally love it. And they also struggle with level design. I think they bite off more than they can chew, especially in some indoor spaces that occur in story missions where you're like inside of a really amazing looking indoor space. But Spider-Man just doesn't do very well in a fight indoors. He really needs that verticality. The minute there are walls, I would just I would find myself hitting a wall and then the camera would kind of go nuts and I wouldn't be able to see what was happening for a few crucial seconds. And I mean, I could go on. There's like other specific things about the combat that I would sort of nitpick with, but I think it'll just be a different thing for different people. And if you mm-hmm. liked the combat in the first two games, you'll you'll be fine here. Like it's 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 a lot more of that. I mean, I agree, but the parry is new. Like I did like the combat in the first two games for what it's worth and this is a series that has really encouraged me to learn how to dodge like that is how the whole game has worked Mm -hmm. for a very long time and it was and still is at least in my current state of playing the game a stumbling block for me to even remember that I'm supposed to parry at all because I'm just like this is a game where I dodge what are you talking about I I dodge and I press triangle to, to bring people closer to me and those are the main maneuvers that I have spatially to like get closer far away from people and I, I don't even know what you mean. There's no parry in this game. And that that's hard. That's like an entirely new, different thing to think about in a game that is already quite complicated without that. 
The other part of this is that everything takes longer than it needs to. Every single encounter, you'll be like, okay, I defeated this en- these enemies, and then another wave will come in. And then yeah. another cars. It's in. always some cars. Always cars. Yeah. Always just like, cars with like turrets Clown that you have to like take yeah. off with your webs. And, and this the is particularly, and the yeah, birds. the robots. <laughs> and then this is particularly egregious, although there is a great side quest of the robot dog. Um, this is particularly <laughs> egregious uh, with the boss fights. Every single boss fight. It's like, so one of the criticisms of the first games, one of the widespread criticisms, was that the bosses were too easy and simple and just felt kind of flat. In this, it's like they tried to swing in the totally uh, opposite. Like the pendulum has swung the other way because now they're too long, too tedious, too many phases. Every single boss has like a little icon on the bottom of their health bar that represents that they actually have three like health bars and you have to get through all three and it's just such a pain. Uh, They all take way longer than they should. I, I started fighting the lizard boss, which is one of the the first ones that you fight, the first major bosses that you fight, and I felt like my kids had like aged four years in between when I started <laughs> and, and when I finished. It's just, uh-huh. just like well, they had man. And you have like a like, Rip Van Winkle beard. By the yeah, time you God, it down. just felt like I felt like I started and the sun was out, and then I finished, and it was like oh my God, it's the next it's day. Spring. It really just like took so yeah, long. That holds to the end. The really the final act of the game is almost a boss rush. Like it's just a series of boss fights that I certainly was, you know, it wasn't like I was rushing through the game. I had plenty of time. I was sort of playing at my leisure, but I did feel toward the end, like, I want to see what happens, but like, my God, how many times, (laughs) you know, the, the moment, Jason, yeah, that you described where there's always some sort of interstitial cutscene and then you square off again and their health bar is full again uh-huh. and then you do it again and then there's another cutscene and then you square off again and then, and then well then you have to chase them you have to like chase them around the, stri- the streets yeah. and then do a whole like flipping and targeting and, and mm-hmm. then there's another friggin yeah, yeah. It's, and it's like it, you know that uh, yeah the, there's so there's some pacing stuff there where I'll, the game is so pleasing so much of the time, and I do want to stress, I really just like had a good time playing it. Yeah, it's um, a fun While game. we are complaining about some things about it, and there were some things, I was kind of surprised reading a few reviews that I didn't see more people mentioning. That, you know, there are things that I certainly felt pretty consistently throughout the game. These pacing issues, the fights going on a little too long, even with the adjusted difficulty. And some of that is related to leveling up and how powerful my characters are. And I wondered if, you know, I actually found a lot of the side stuff to be fairly tedious and skippable. Mm-hmm. There are these, um, the app side quests, yep. I guess is what you would call them, where they're like story side quests that focus on side characters. Those are really lovely. You can kind of tell which ones are going to have the most meat to them. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times you're doing like a prowler layer. You're just going and kind of scanning a building until you find a thing and then you move it and then you crawl in and you pick something up and then you find another one. And I like how a lot of them tend, they like, if you do four or five of them, then you open some new challenge that's kind of cool. Like you mentioned, the hunter blinds. Mm -hmm. Um, But most of them are kind of tedious. There's a lot of those mini games where you're doing like science you're like blowing up molecules and it just feels so silly silly. like it feels like something from a 2002 you know like a playstation yeah i don't like any of the science mini games but i mean they they tried (laughs) there are a lot of bespoke mechanics remember the rhythm thing at at coney island so many silly pretty silly so so a lot of that stuff is necessary (laughs) to level up because you have to go do those side quests i think if you're properly playing the game whatever that means you're doing a lot of those side quests because you want to be getting all the materials that you need to unlock the six billion upgrades that you mm-hmm. have because you have skill upgrades that you get for leveling up but then you spend tech parts and advanced tech parts and city points and eight different currencies that you get from all the different <laughs> side quests in order to like do more damage have more health 
you know, uh, have more focus bars. Focus bars are really important because you use them to heal. Yeah, the bosses would actually be easy if you unlocked all of Uncle Aaron's little right. puzzles. <laughs> so if you did all the side quests before those final boss rushes, they would probably feel significantly mm. less kind of extended, or at least they, mm. they might. I Possibly. don't know because I didn't. I didn't I'm gonna do have to it. do that before I uh, before I keep going. It might it might be worth it. <laughs> There's only so much you can change though, because I I know what you mean about like yeah. interrupting cutscenes and like having to do a series of mechanical hoops to get through a boss fight like even if the boss itself is really taking your hits no problem it, it you're still gonna have to get through multiple phases and that can be tiring mm-hmm. no matter what mm-hmm. yeah so there's there's just there there are some i guess I, I have some gripes with it even while it is a big-hearted game i think like it really is this it's game that vibes. loves its characters it has great vibes mm-hmm. everyone's so friendly it really does it has a number of really wonderful story sequences like non-combat story sequences yeah, I think, it's very that are really rock neat. and i mean that in the most complimentary possible <laughs> way like a lot of it just feels like dudes rock type of vibes and like it's, it's like the opposite of men will do x or y instead of going to therapy like that's the opposite of what this game is doing this game is like <laughs> peter pointing at the camera and going remember guys it's okay to go to therapy like that is like the conclusion <laughs> of every mission somehow and it's like Mm-hmm. really sweet so just in terms of the overall atmosphere of it it's it's very cozy feeling like we, we've kind of made fun of some of the mini games but there's also a lot of bespoke interactive elements that are very pleasant like you ride your bike with Harry to your old high school and then you like have this sort of flashback sequence that I thought was really fun I don't know that there, it has much narrative payoff overall did it need to be there narratively I don't know but I had a great time you know like it's just good vibes and it made me be like oh Peter and Harry are friends they have so many memories together and that's meaningful too to have something like that in a game that just gives you a really good feeling and overall the game is really good at giving you a good feeling even if that feeling is kind of ephemeral yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it gets Spider-Man pretty right in a way that we talked. We we've been critical of the past games, mm-hmm. in especially like Spider-Man working with the cops so closely, being a little bit more of a force of authority in the city. Yeah. In this game, he very much isn't, and feels more like a part of the neighborhood. Yeah, and Miles certainly feels like a part of his neighborhood. I joked at the beginning about Clyde Subblefield. There's a really great music side quest that anybody playing the game will be like, "Oh, well, Kirk must have loved this quest." <laughs> um, there's a lot of cool stuff with Miles in his neighborhood. And honestly, actually, just to shout out Miles, Najee Jeter does a great job as Miles. I think Miles as a character in this game is really great. I loved the Miles standalone story. I liked it more than the original game. And I think this whole game, I wanted more Miles. I appreciated that you could do a lot of the side stuff as Miles. Mm -hmm. And the Venom storyline... I mean, that's Peter's storyline. So, like, mm-hmm. you, it focuses on Peter, and it's about... And Peter and Harry are kind of one of the most important relationships in the game. Peter and MJ. You get more of them than you do of Miles and Miles and Haley, who I love. Um, so I just wanted a little more Miles, and I hope that we'll get more Miles in the future, because I think he's a great character. And this game really underlined that for me as well. Yeah, I agree. I really liked the Miles stuff, but... Peter was, I think, a little more bearable to me in this all game. The, all the performances are excellent. Eerie Lowenthal yeah. is great. Oh, yeah. Laura Bailey is great. MJ got mm-hmm. a glow up for this game. She looks completely different than she did in the last game. It's a but, little uh, bit... It's kind of weird how they keep changing how everybody yeah, looks. I don't even know, that? like... 
<laughs> I don't really know. I don't even have an opinion about any of the different looks. It's just Me weird either. that they I'm always just look like, like different people. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just pick a face and like it's fine. Just stick with it. Like I kind I've never, of I, it. I, I like, still don't really understand it. Peter's Peter's new face is good. He looks like Tom Holland. It's it's good. It works. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, like, it's fine. I, it's just that he's always different, and I'm like, who are you? Man? Yeah. I, I also <laughs> found I find Harry this Harry to be really interesting because he's so different than James Franco's right. Harry yeah. in the movies, but he still feels like a good just kind of version of the character that's mm-hmm. just like an interesting new twist on it almost like a like a Shakespearean play how you could perform like a yeah. totally different version of a character I'd say that's a good way to describe a lot about this game and about uh, Spider-Man in general just how it's become this remix this constantly you know multiversal mm-hmm. remix version mm-hmm. of itself this feels like yet another one of those I think it'll be something that'll be fun to get into with spoilers once we've all played it oh, and I think sure. that we'll, we all will and we'll do a, a beans cast on this a little ways yeah. down the road I did yeah I got a one thing I'll say that isn't a spoiler, but just kind of like obliquely, like very speaking in very vague terms, I was hoping that they would do something different that felt different, more different with the Venom storyline than the ones yeah. we've seen before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I just w- was like, why isn't it more like the Tom Hardy version? That's what that's my main point so far. <laughs> no, it's funny because I do I do love Venom now. Now that I've seen that movie, I and, know, um, but it's nothing like that actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I kind of that would have been cool though. Um, all right, well, we will talk about this game more down the road for sure. In the meantime, let's take a break and then come back for one more thing. Hi, I'm Bikram Chatterjee, the CEO of Maximum Fun. And I'm here with my fellow worker owner, Marissa Flaxbart, producer. This week for Co-Optober, we'll be highlighting other co-ops who work in the arts. The past few years have been challenging for all kinds of creative industries. We at MaxFun believe that co-ops are better suited to meet these challenges. And there are a lot of other companies who feel the same way. So all this week on our social media and website, we'll be sharing interviews with some of our fellow co-ops. And head to our YouTube channel, Friday, October 20th, where I'll be talking with worker owners from Defector and Stocksy about their co-ops and why the model works for them. And next week is Volunteer Week. Learn how you can participate in that and get details on exclusive merch, our live streams, and other Co-Optober happenings at MaximumFun.org slash Co-Optober. That's C-O-O-P-T-O-B-E-R. All right, class, tomorrow's exam will cover the science of perfect pitch, the history of pride flags and speedrunning video games. Any questions? Ah, yes, you in the back. Uh, what is this? It's the podcast Let's Learn Everything. Where we learn about science and a bit of everything else. My name's Tom. I study cognitive and computer science, but I'll also be your teacher for intermediate emojis. My name's Caroline, and I did my master's in biodiversity conservation, and I'll be teaching you intro to things the British Museum stole. My name's Ella. I did a PhD in stem cell biology, so obviously I'll be teaching you the history of fan fiction. Class meets every other Thursday on Maximum Fun. So do I still get credit for this? (laughs) No. (laughs) Obviously not. No. It's a podcast. (laughs) And we're back for one more thing. Maddie, you go first. <laughs> okay. My one more I thing. I want to hear about your one more thing. Is a television show called The Golden Bachelor. Hell that yeah. only has 
three episodes so far, and Dina and I are completely obsessed with it and highly recommend it. This is very mm-hmm. much a we hate watch The Bachelor household. We we have a lot of rules around when we stop watching The Bachelor because it stopped being fun and started getting too real and we got too angry at it. Like each season we'll be like, are we going to watch The Bachelor? <laughs> is hate watching it actually fun? Is it just making us angry at straight people? We, we have to have these conversations at our house all the time. Golden Bachelor? Not so. So here's the rules of Golden Bachelor. Everybody is 60 years old and over. And I have never <laughs> seen a reality show where this is the case. No, ever. I love it. And it's incredible. So the guy who is the bachelor, I mean, anytime you cast a bachelor or bachelorette, you really got to think about their charisma, their riz, if you will. The, mm-hmm. It has to be extremely high or the entire season fails. You really to have to believe. It has to be 18 or higher. It has to be 18 or higher. No, no jokes. Like, <laughs> get those dice out, folks. Get those character sheets out. It's got to be real freaking high because otherwise you are not going to believe that 16 people all want to date this person. You have to really want that for them. And you also have to like them. So they casted the perfect bachelor. He's amazing. He's a widower. You're rooting for him. You cry when he tells a story. It's like the beginning of up levels of crying. You're going to be crying when you watch the beginning of The Golden Bachelor. But you're going to stick with it because then you're going to meet a series of older women who are the greatest women on this planet. And you're going to be so upset that all of them can't win. There's like (laughs) 75 year old women who are so hilarious. So the other thing about The Bachelor that is normally terrible is that everyone is 22 years old and it's hard to root for a 22 year old. I mean, I've been 22. Yes. We all have. And you're like, you've right. never dated I wouldn't anyone. Root for myself. <laughs> you don't know what a relationship is. You shouldn't be getting married. Like, what is going on here? Like, no, what? no offense to those 22 year olds listening Listen, right now. I'm sorry. Okay. Maybe, maybe you met the one and you're very lucky. It's very statistically unlikely, but it certainly does happen. But on The Bachelor, you're just like, is this the way you should be dating? Like, it's, it's got to be a hate watch, you know? You guys all get it, and the listeners get it too. Everyone unanimously agrees with me on this. But on The Golden Bachelor, you're like, everybody on this show has not only been in a relationship, they've probably been in multiple relationships. They've been married for decades. Several of them have either been through a divorce or they're widows. They're very freaking experienced, and their vocabularies top notch. There's yep. nobody on this show that is like using the word intangible incorrectly or like doing other things that you're like, why am I watching this show? Is this deleting my brain cells? You're like having actual <laughs> intelligent conversations with other mm-hmm. 70 or 60 year old women about what it's like to be at that age. I don't know. It's fascinating. I've never seen a reality show like this before. I know The Bachelor is a very conservative franchise and they're always like, how do we mix it up? I actually think they nailed it this time. And I, I think more people should watch this. I like it a lot. It's really good. The Golden Bachelor. You nice. will cry, though. You will cry. I haven't seen it, but I, I oh, heard about it, and I love the, the idea. Pathos. And I'm glad to hear that it's good. It's great. Mm-hmm. But you'll laugh. You'll nice. laugh as well, because it's amazing. Well, Jason's is exciting, and <laughs> I want to hear about it. So I'm going to actually go first, so I can get mine out of the way, because mine is kind of short. Um, mine is the movie Zodiac, the David Fincher film from 2007. I've which never I seen this. Should I watch re-watched. this Rewatched. Yes, okay. you should. Okay. Uh, it's really, really good. Is this about Ted Cruz? Oh, uh, well, allegedly. <laughs> but no, the textual film is not. He's not mentioned. Hmm. Um, so the reason that I watched this movie was that my beloved boys at uh, Blank Check with Griffin and David mm-hmm. are doing a series on David Fincher. And it's been really interesting. Of course, a director who was a pretty seminal director, I think, for a lot of people of our generation, the director of Fight Club, the director of 
well, Panic Room, but the, also the director of Seven. And I'd say Seven is the most interesting comparison point for Zodiac, 2007 film that he made that upon listening to the episode, uh, I realized I'd only seen it once and really needed to see it again. So their episode has an amazing guest who is a woman that I had never actually heard of, or at least her name didn't register to me. Her name is Leslie Headland. She's a writer and a director, and she wrote and directed a movie called Sleeping with Other People that I haven't seen but have heard is good. But she was also a co-creator of Russian Doll, and she's the showrunner for that upcoming High Republic show, the Star Wars show about the High Republic. So she's a director and a writer. She really knows her stuff. And at the start of this episode about Zodiac, all three of them are like one of the five greatest American films ever made. Like all three just <laughs> said it flat out. And these are people who have seen every movie ever. And I was yeah. like, really? I barely, like I remember watching it and thinking it was interesting in 2007 when I didn't know anything. But I haven't seen it since then. So I was like, all right. So I paused the episode and went and watched the movie. It's like a two hour and 50 minute movie. Mm-hmm. You dropped everything you were doing immediately. I really kind of did. I, I, well, I just was like, well, whatever. I, I watched it that, that night. Kirk Kirk doesn't, Kirk is a freelancer. He can do That's whatever true. he wants. <laughs> I can make my own schedule. Um, and it really is an incredible movie. And then uh, a really an incredible accompaniment to this podcast episode as well. Their conversation about it has been very, very interesting. Just to hear a director, especially like Headland, talking about how incredible so many of the things that Fincher did in this film were, the way he used digital film, which was pretty new at the time, and the way he made it look a certain way, how incredible looking it is, how his meticulous approach to shooting scenes where he shoots scenes like 60 times got really incredible energy out of it. It's a really cool movie, and it really isn't what I remembered. What I remember from Zodiac is there's one scene in it. There's a murder pretty early on where they depict one of the Zodiac's murders by a lake. Anyone who's seen the movie already knows the scene I'm talking about because it's like the scariest thing I've ever seen in a movie. And it remains the most chilling murder I've ever seen in a movie. And watching it again was scary all over again. And that is so memorable that I kind of had forgotten what the movie is really about. It's the story of these three men. It's um, Mark Ruffalo, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Robert Downey Jr. And um, Robert Downey Jr. is a crime reporter. Mark Ruffalo is a SF detective. And Jake Gyllenhaal is a cartoonist at the newspaper who would go on to write the book Zodiac and who just became obsessed with the Zodiac killer. And it's really the story of how this thing happened where this guy claimed to have killed people and wrote these letters to the newspaper in the late 60s and early 70s and how the obsession with that case like kind of destroyed everyone. And they never caught him. They never found out what was going on. And as a result, it's kind of the opposite of Seven, where Seven's this movie that, like, makes the, you know, the serial killer is this great genius who devises this master mousetrap that, like, catches everyone and goes according to this Baroque plan where he even gets the detective in the end. And it's, like, all perfect because he's this super genius. And instead, this movie is, like, only based on the facts. You only see what's been documented in the Zodiac killings, so you don't actually see much of them. And you never even know, like, what Zodiac was doing or, like, what his plan was it was all kind of random like who really knows and it's instead about the people who became obsessed with figuring this out and just found this mystery and couldn't solve it and it winds up feeling like this like a like it was predicting the true crime wave like jake gyllenhaal's character especially in the second half of the movie he becomes like a reddit mystery detective guy like he Mm -hmm. he, it's the 70s so he doesn't have reddit but it's just like that he's sitting there being like going through cold case files and trying to figure out maybe it was this guy maybe it was that guy and his whole life falls apart 
Anyways, it really is an amazing movie. Um, I was really just uh, taken with it. I think it's totally worth watching for anyone who either didn't see it or saw it a long time ago and doesn't remember it. Um, totally worth checking out. And that episode of Blank Check uh, with Leslie Headland is uh, really amazing as well. So wanted to recommend that. I feel like I should watch it because uh, I haven't seen it, but Social Network and Gone Girl are like two of my favorite movies ever. Aww. So I feel like I would like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, um, they go in at the beginning and they're like, a lot of people say Fincher's masterwork is the social network and all three of them are like it's Zodiac like Zodiac's the one mm-hmm. and I am inclined to agree as much as I do like the social network as well cool. um, alright so that's me Jason what is your one more thing yeah so I played Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth the what? sequel to Final Fantasy 7 Remake there was a preview event in New York last week I went and played a couple hours of the game or more like an hour of the game and then mm-hmm. went and sat down with the director and spoke to him for a bit for my for an interview that'll be up on Bloomberg on Friday so check that out when it hits um, nice. fascinating dude by the way very charismatic and he's like in his 40s he was in middle school when Final Fan- or in high school when Final Fantasy 7 came out so wow. he's like playing this as a fan which I think find fa- or nice. he's directing this as a fan which I find fascinating yeah. kind of um, makes sense when it you does play well it's yeah. so funny it's, it's like him and then um, Tetsuya Nomura and Yoshinori Kitase both of whom worked on the original game right, of course, so like yeah. you have this blend of like veterans mm-hmm. and newcomers which is fascinating anyway so I played the game it was kind of two demos one was the Nibelheim flashback with Cloud and Sephiroth and the other was a little bit of a, a little chunk of open world between the coral mines and um, Junon like the undercity of Junon where mm-hmm. uh, where you hang out with a dolphin and, and fight a, a big monster and oh, so yeah, right. <laughs> Forgot yeah. about the dolphin. Yeah, seven. there's a dolphin. Yeah, yeah. The dolphin is a great <laughs> moment. There's like a great shot of the dolphin and cloud like hugging in this one. It's great. Oh my, oh god. my god. So uh so the Nimmelheim flashback is really interesting. It's kind of like a combat tutorial type thing. It seems like that's gonna be very early in the game because in, in the original it happens right after you leave Mingar, which is of course where we have left off after Final Fantasy mm-hmm. VII remake. Um and so uh the thing that struck me about it is that cloud acts and looks and feels and talks exactly like Zack in the flashback, which will make sense to anyone who knows the big plot twist involving that flashback. But it's so interesting, and I asked the director, Hamaguchi, about that, and he was like, yeah, it's interesting because that's what was intended in the original game, but we weren't really, they weren't really able to, like, show it in the same way that we can now in modern graphics and voice acting and all this stuff, so it's so interesting that they were able to pull that off this time, and it's just a fascinating little piece of storytelling. Um, but from what I saw in that um, pretty short section, but all just very following the same exact path as the original game. Um, whereas the Juno stuff feels a little bit different in that it's not, it's obviously not like a world map the way one of the big questions everybody had was okay, Final Fantasy VII Remake, first part of the game, first act of this three part trilogy, three game trilogy that was all set in Midgar. So you didn't have to worry about the open world and the world map and how are we going to approach that. Um, and so this game, the big question was what are they going to do? Are they going to let you explore a massive world map? How is that going to work with HD graphics and like this modern recreation that's supposed to feel very real in a way that the kind of stylistic, 
metaphor world map could never feel. And so what it their their approach, I still want to know the hundred uh, percent what the answer is going to be because like I didn't get any of the vehicles or vehicles that you're going to get like the tiny Bronco floating around and like the buggy and stuff. But none of that was in this demo. But um, it seems like it's going to be chunks of open world, um, mm-hmm. and that's what this demo was. It was essentially a chunk of open world. So like you get out of the coral mines and you have this big kind of um, there's like a big hill and then you can go down and then there's a bunch of different like areas that you can explore. And a couple of things I thought were noteworthy there. One is that like there's a bunch of like random stuff that's new as you might expect from Final Fantasy VII Remake. There's just a ton of new stuff in this game. It's going to feel very new. Um, two is that there are no random encounters and by that I mean there aren't even just like filler encounters. So what I from what I saw, this chunk of the open world had four different kind of battles that you could fight and they were all marked on the map as like almost not side quests but like collectible things where you get there and then Chadley or not Chadley someone some robot or something I don't know that's probably explained earlier in the game (laughs) from this point Mm -hmm. um, gives you like a description of what you're fighting and gives you some objectives to do it might be like stagger this enemy or like prevent this enemy from casting a spell and so each of the four encounters had those kind of objectives and so it felt a little bit less like a random battle and filler battle and more like an actual activity to be doing and i didn't see Hmm. any other random encounter like there were no other battles from what i could tell other than those which i think is an interesting way to approach a world map where presumably you're going to be fighting all the time in random enemies if they approach it with like oh it's not actually going to be random filler enemies it's going to be these little activity things i think that's a really cool way to go about that um I also, uh, I think they had told us that there, there'll be more side stuff that we didn't even get to see in this when we play the actual game. But like, I found a little chocobo farm and like some hints of a story going on there. And then I got into the Junon Undercity and, um, had to run and go save Priscilla, like you do in the original from this big water boss thing, which was fine. It was just a a water boss. And then the demo (laughs) ended. After that, um, the combat feels pretty much the same as Remake did, um, which is a good thing. It's, it was good combat system, good kind of blend of like action and turn-based stuff, or action and strategy stuff. Um, the one big new mechanic is uh, this system called Synergy, where you can team up with your team up two characters together to like do some sort of combo attack, which is just kind of like an interesting new wrinkle to the thing. But other than that, it just feels like more of the same, which is a good thing, I think. Um, overall came away very very excited uh there was nothing like groundbreaking i didn't get any hints about like the story changes that are actually going to happen in the final game which is good i'll wait for the final yeah, game yeah they're like, not going to show you that. about that but um <laughs> yeah. yeah but overall i was i left super stoked and very excited to see more and and play more of it and uh yeah man i mean as as we've all talked about um I guess it was split screen or like very early triple click. We yeah. we started getting oh it was a bean one of our first beans cast I think was Final Fantasy VII yeah. remake. It was I think um, yeah. But yeah, I mean I was like super skeptical to that uh, about that game going into it. I was like, why are they breaking up this up into three parts? Why are they calling it Final Fantasy VII remake? Like what the heck is going on here? And then I played through the game and just like you two was totally blown away and was like, oh this is this is not a remake. It's a sequel. They're trying to do something totally new here. This is amazing. I'm so happy that they're doing this. And now I'm just so excited to to get my hands on Rebirth and and play 
through it all that, uh, yeah, just can't wait. It's coming out in February, which feels kind of soon, like sooner than anticipated. Yeah. Which, yeah. one more quick anecdote I'll share. I asked Amaguchi, I said, um, we live in a world where like everything is taking six years to make. Like, um, this is a game that in the first game it was all set in Midgar, so you could repeat a lot of assets and stuff. This game, you have like a dozen cities that we're going to explore, and it's a massive open world. Like, how did you possibly pull this off in four years? And he gave me an answer that I thought was really interesting, which is he said, team chemistry. Like we have 80 to 90% mm. of the same people who worked on Remake. And so we were able, even though the pandemic started just as they were starting to work on this, we were able to do things efficiently because as an example, if I have a question about something or like need something done, I know exactly who to go to and can be like, oh, you know this part of the game. Oh, you are responsible for this. And because they retain that chemistry and that they retain a lot of the same staff, they were able to do things a lot more quickly and efficiently, which I thought was really interesting. Something that a lot of game studios, I think, undervalue is team oh, chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Bit of a recurring theme lately, the mm-hmm. uh, the returning mm-hmm. team chemistry After thing. Tears of the Kingdom, we had that same conversation, almost mm-hmm. like maybe some other studios. And I mean, playing Spider-Man kind of feels that way, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not untrue, not untrue. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Rebirth, very excited to play. Nice that final yeah, game and too. we're gonna talk a lot about that i'm sure it'll be, oh, our gotta big, be another beast cast oh, yeah. for sure game. Yeah, very <laughs> exciting. absolutely all right well this has been another fun episode of triple click thanks so much everyone as always for listening thanks to the two of you for being my co-hosts you're both great you're welcome and, I'll, uh, <laughs> and remember with great power comes uh comes something great comes, podcast uh, ability there you go <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, I'll see you both next week. See you next week. (laughs) Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org slash join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.